Philippians chapter 3, look what it says here. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. He said, I haven't already attained all of this, and I haven't already been made perfect, but he said, this one thing I do, I press on to take hold of that which Jesus took hold of me. He said, I forget what's behind, and I strain towards what is ahead, and I press towards the goal of the prize of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. A very public birth. Bethlehem. The whole world could have attended but only those looking for him did. A very public life. Everyone could have been converted, but those that followed him did. A very public death. Everyone that could have been con- could have attended, but only those that were brave enough to stand against the odds came to share in the death. A very public resurrection. Which now God says, you and I have to live a very public Christian Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. Quickly, if you have your Bibles, I want you to take them in your hands. If you didn't bring your Bible today, I want you to close yourself to somebody, get yourself close to Because I'm going to take you and ask you to open your Bibles today. We're going to put the words on the screens, but there's several scriptures we're not going to put on the screens only because they didn't get into my notes until two o'clock this morning. But I was really, I was asking God about today's message. And I want you to look at me, please, because God spoke to me very clearly. And he said, the reason people, most people don't understand the resurrection is because they've never read my word on the resurrection. And today I'm ministering a message that I'm titled, The Reality of the Resurrection. Folks, the resurrection is not some spiritual manifestation. It is a physical reality. So what I want you to do is open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Romans, Acts. I'm sorry, Acts, Romans. Sorry. 1 Corinthians, right there. Okay? 1 Corinthians 15. If you're there, say amen. I'm reading out the NIV. So if you're reading this, it will look the same. If it's not, it'll be a little bit different. But look what it says. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Now, let that sink for a second. If Christ has not been raised, our faith is in vain. Can you say amen? And look what it says next. You were still in your sins. How many of you would be honest with me and say, I've never read that before? Go ahead, lift your hand up. Don't, don't be ashamed. Oh, everybody's going to look at me. Half the hands in the place have gone up. If Christ has not been raised, we are still dead in our sins. And those who have died before us in Christ are lost. If only in this life we have hope in Christ, 
Paul's turning it back onto himself. Me as a pastor, he as a minister. He said, we of all people are to be most pitied. The physical resurrection of Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of your redemption and mine. Are you with me? If there is no resurrection, there is no Christianity. I'm saying these purposefully because I want them to sink in. I made a statement at the beginning of the service. This is the most important day in all of Christendom. Because if there was not this day, there'd be no purpose for this church. There'd be no purpose for you and I living lives dedicated to Christ. By definition, resurrection is physical. Sadly, in today's world, and I blame pastors and pulpits around the world for this mindset because they do not encourage people to read the Bible themselves. In your, in your, in your bulletins, can I see yours, sweetie? The notes. Or let me have the bulletin. This is my wife. That's why I'm calling her sweetie. In your bulletin is as much of my notes as I can put in. I do this every single Sunday in our church. I don't give you three, three points and a bunch of blanks. I give you my notes as much as I can. No, you don't have all of my notes. There's no way I could put them all in the bulletin. But I give you as much as I can. Why? This is what you need to go home with and open your own Bible. You trust me. You love me. I'm grateful. But it's not my word that's going to change your life. It's God's word. Are you with me? This is why I put these in your bulletins every single week. This book is what you need to know. And you need to take the time to follow in the notes You need to take the time and open the scripture yourself to find out what it's saying. Can somebody say amen this morning? By definition, the resurrection is physical. Sadly today, too many Christians spiritualize the resurrection of the dead by therefore, rather in essence, denying it. Oh, they don't reject it as doctrine, but they deny the essential meaning of it. And literally, if they do that, they deny an eternal future where the Bible teaches fully restored people dwelling in a fully restored earth. Man and the earth will be resurrected. Can you say amen? This is what the Bible teaches. Even those who believe in the resurrection of the dead. Even those that do believe in this, more than two-thirds of them do not believe they'll have a resurrected body in the resurrection, which is totally contradictory to God's word. You see, a non-physical resurrection would equate and be equivalent of a sunless sunrise. It can't happen. Resurrection means something is restored. That's what the word resurrection means. Something is brought back to its original state. Not in this world, but what God intended. Are you with me? In the resurrection, we will have bodies. No bodies, no resurrection. Am I making sense? R.A. Torrey, a great saint from years gone by, said, We will not be disembodied spirits in the world to come, but redeemed spirits in a redeemed body in a redeemed universe. It'll be back to what God originally planned. And I want you to, this is not in your notes, folks. Like I said, I, I was up this morning and I'm writing all this stuff down. So my notes got added to this morning. I want you to take this. I'm going to say it solely because I want you to write it down. It's a whole sentence, but I want you to write it down. If we don't get it right on the resurrection 
of the body, we will get nothing else right in our Christian experience. Let me say it again. If we don't get it right on the resurrection of the body, we'll get nothing else right when it comes to the things of God. We cannot merely affirm the resurrection as point of doctrine. The resurrection's meaning has to be affirmed. In Genesis chapter 2, I'm going to take you back into the original Hebrew, and I'm going to expound a little bit to help us understand this point. And I'm driving this home because today I'm going to prove to you in the secular world, in the historical world, in the scientific world, that the resurrection happened. Okay? But I got to lay this foundation. Are you with me? Okay? Genesis 2-7 says, the Lord God. Are you there? Genesis, first book of the Bible. It's actually not. Job is the first book. But in your Bible, Genesis. So go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. Verse 7, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. There's a twofold thing that happened here. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, or the spirit of God. And man became a physical being. Are you with me? The Hebrew word for living being is the word nephesh. Many translations will use the word soul. The soulish part, the faculty of knowing, the mind, the emotions, so on and so forth. But it is actually talking about the physical creation of man, the point at which Adam became nephesh is when God joined the dust or his body to his breath or his spirit. Are you with me? This is when man became a living creature. This is why humans cannot recreate life because the life came from God. Oh, they can keep a body alive. We've got many nurses and doctors in this building. They can keep the body alive. This body is a machine, but they cannot create life as much as they try to. Why? Because it's God that breathes life into man. It's God that puts the spirit into you and I. Are you with me? Adam was not a living human being until he had both physical or material and immaterial or spiritual components joined together. Thus, the essence of humanity is not just spirit, but it's spirit and body. Our body does not merely house the real you and me. It is as much a part of who we are as our spirit is. That's why we will have a resurrected body. How many have got a chance to go see God is not dead? If you haven't, you need to go see it. We were blessed. Us and half a dozen of our friends went to the 1030 showing of heaven is for real. How many saw heaven is for real already? You need to go see these shows. And the little boy was describing his grandfather to his dad. And his dad took the last picture of his grandfather and showed it to his son and says, is this, what do you call him, Pappy, Poppy, something like that? Pops, is this Pops? And the boy said, no, three, four-year-old boy. No, that's not Pops. And then he said these words, everybody is young in heaven. Now let me get into some theological theory because the Bible's not very clear on it. Most people, most scholars believe that heaven will be around the age that Jesus died, around that 30, 35-year mark. Are you okay with this? I'm not saying thus saith the Lord. I'm saying most people, uh, most scholars, most Bible uh, studiers 
believe that's what will be. So he said that in heaven, everybody is younger. And so the, the dad pulled a picture of his dad when he was probably in that age group. And the boy said, yes, this is what he looks like. Amen. First Corinthians 15, I'm going to go on further. If you flip back to first Corinthians, I'm still in chapter 15. I'm going to go to the 12th verse. And I'm going to hit on this resurrection thought again. If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how many there? Verse 12, 1 Corinthians 15, 12, say amen if you're there. If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection? And then he goes on to the same argument that he makes in 17. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. So is your faith. More than that, we are then found false witnesses of God. We have become liars. And for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact... The dead do not rise. Look at me. In today's world, now I'm going to jump into your notes. In today's world, literally believing the Bible is frowned upon. Even in Christian circles. That is one of the most damnable heresies that have ever broached the pulpit of the church of God. If we don't take the scripture literally... Now, yes, there is symbolism. Yes, there is metaphor. But from Genesis to Revelation, every word is breathed of God. People sit back and say, would you seriously believe in a six-day literal creation? The answer is unequivocally yes. Why? Because when you study in the original language, it says literal six days. You say, well, why is that important? Because if death happened before Calvary, or excuse me, before the garden, let's close the doors and go home. If there are millions of years of evolution that you and I got here from this, this ooze, look at somebody and say ooze. Doesn't sound as good, does it? If millions of years of creation got us to where we are today and death didn't happen in the garden, close the book and go home. God said, say that with me. That's all that matters. He said in the beginning, I created heaven and earth. In the beginning. And guess who's going to be there in the end? God. Somebody say Amen. In today's world, taking the Bible literally has been challenged beyond measure. All the way from the Garden of Eden to the flood to Sodom and Gomorrah to King David to King Solomon. Solomon. But do you notice in the last century alone, actually I can change it to the last 50 years, they thought David and Solomon were myths. Do you know almost on a monthly basis they're unearthing things that talk about King David and King Solomon in writing, archaeologically, archaeologically, they're proving the word of God. Did you know up to about 50 years ago, they had all kinds of excuses and all kinds of ways to try to figure out what happened to Jericho? And do you know within the last 50 years, science has unearthed proof that the walls fell down flat? I could have gave them proof. It's called the word of God. That's what the Bible says. They fell down flat. Do you know they were trying to figure out Sodom and Gomorrah? They said, oh, it must have been volcanic. They don't have any volcanoes around there. But they find all of this burnt like meteorites from heaven. All these different things they're proving over and over that the Bible literally says there was a garden. Oh, yes, they have found the garden. They have proven the flood, though they keep trying to deny it. Sodom, Gomorrah, David, Solomon. 
Yet recently, every single one of what's called a Bible myth has been archaeologically and scientifically proven beyond a doubt. Still, one of the greatest mysteries of mankind is at heart of controversy, the resurrection. Was it a hoax? Did it really happen? Well, I left it in your notes. You and I as Christians, our eternity is staked on the resurrection. And today, I ask the question, can we prove that the resurrection was real if we weren't there? I believe we can. And I believe we can do it because it wasn't something that happened in the shadows. There is historical record from the day of. You can go read books by by, uh, Josephus, uh, the Antiquities. You can go read different historical figures that were there at the, the crucifixion and the resurrection. There are public records that you can research that say it's true. But what I want to do today is I want to look at it. Let's, let's become sleuths, sleuths today. Let's become private investigators and let's look at this thing. Number one, very real and very public was the trial, the assaults, and the crucifixion. During the Passover, it wasn't just any time of the year. It was during the busiest time of the year in all of Jerusalem, the Passover. All of Jerusalem came to the temple to offer sacrifice, to have remission for sins. At the Passover was the crucifixion. Jesus was swept away by an angry crowd to stand before Pilate. As the Jewish leaders say, he is blaspheming. He's calling himself equal with God, but to get Rome on their side, he says he's making himself equal with the king, with, the, with Caesar. And then the spineless religious of the day said, we have no allegiance at all but Caesar. We have no king. And you can read that in John 19. He said, if you don't do something, the religious people said, if you don't do something about this Christ, it will violate your loyalty to Caesar. So immediately, that gets Pilate all bothered. Jesus' death was demanded. The religious society said these words, if we don't deal with him, they're going to take our position away. It's amazing what happens when you got to stand for Christ and your position, your job, your title, your whatever is at stake. They said, if they don't deal with him, then we're going to lose our position, our recognition, our standard of life. Are you with me today? But the Bible says the pilot didn't want to kill him. Why? Because his wife had a dream and came to him. Says, you can't kill this holy man. I've dreamed about him. So Pilate had him beaten because Pilate's integrity was at stake. He was the the, 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 the person running everything. He couldn't let these religious people overpower him. But the religious would not relent. And because of that, Pilate sentenced Jesus, listen to this, it's in your notes, to a public execution. Folks, the trial was in the middle of the night, but there was hundreds of people. Everything happened, and Pilate put him to the streets to carry a cross very publicly, to a hill. This is important. Why? Because Pilate and the religious want to make him an example before all. This is what happens to people too crazy to say that God is the only hope for mankind or that he is the Son of God. A very public execution made on a very public hill that he could be very publicly made an example. One more thing to note is he placed him between two criminals. It wasn't a private execution. Everything about the execution was very public. Listen to me. Not only were the religious and the secular there, but also the Christian and the criminal. Nobody could say It wasn't what happened because every walk of life, every type of person viewed it firsthand. Am I making any sense today? 
friends and enemies alike watched him die. You see, if you had just the religious system, the secular could say, well, that's not the way it was. If you had just the secular, the religious could say, well, that's not the way it was. If you had just the Christian, then they could, well, that's not just the way it was. Are you with me? The entirety of mankind witnessed friends and enemies watched him die. And not only that, but they kept it very much at the, at the, the picture, if you will, the zenith of the Passover celebration. Passover was nearing. The religious said, we, can't have, we cannot have him go into Passover. We have to have this done now. He has to be buried outside, off the cross. Everything has to happen before the next morning. And so the Bible says that the Roman soldiers were ordered to hasten the death, go through and break the legs. As most of you, if you've watched The Passion of Christ, if you've watched or read anything about the crucifixion, they are there. Most scholars, once again, don't believe that his nails went through the palm of the hand because there's no bones. They actually they put the nails through the wrist because that's where the bones are together that would actually hold him. The problem was that was everything that was holding him. You could not. His na- feet were nailed. He could not lift himself to breathe. So he was suffocating to death. And so on the cross, the way that they were able to last longer is they could get enough pressure to lift themselves to actually get a little air inside of them. So the soldiers came and broke their legs so they would suffocate instantly. Gruesome, isn't it? They went to the first criminal, still breathing, broke his legs. Second criminal, still breathing. Broke his legs. Went to Jesus. Saw he's already dead. Didn't break his legs. Say, Pastor, why is that significant? Because the Bible says his bones would not be broken. Fulfilling scripture all the way. Are you with me? They came to Jesus and found that he's already dead. Yet to make sure, once again, to fulfill scripture, they speared his side. And the Bible says blood and water flowed. The blood to represent the salvation of mankind. The water to represent the birth of mankind. Mingled together, now set free. Oh, somebody get excited in this place. The blood and the water flowed. Now, I know the medical thing. They had this bag around. I understand all of that, but I understand the significance of what happened. So let's go on here. All of these things were very publicly displayed. Let's go further. To make sure that it was not a hoax, the religious went to Pilate and said, Jesus said that he would raise in three days. The prophecy was, tear down this temple and I'll resurrect it in three days, which Jesus did. So the Bible says, to calm the religious people, Pilate put a watch and set the official seal on the tomb, putting all grave robbers, any uh, uh, people that would try to do good in there to, to take the body and fake the resurrection to seal it to where nobody could do anything. Everything done publicly. And then he put a watch of the greatest soldiers that he had to watch a guy that's dead. You see how everything was very public. Everything's very out in the open. Everybody knew everything. The soldiers stood guard. And they had good reason to stand guard. You know what happened if they left their post? Death. They didn't believe, but they didn't want to die. So they watched. But you know what the Bible says? Despite the guards, despite the seal, Despite the stone, on that third day, it was rolled away, and the grave was now empty. And the guards couldn't do anything about it. All of this very public. The morning after the Sabbath, the first day of the week, listen to me, the first day of the week, the Bible tells us that Mary came to anoint the body of Jesus. She found the guards had fainted. The seal had been broken, the stone was rolled away, and the body was gone. The tomb was empty, except for Jesus' burial wrappings. This is critical. The Bible says they were laying neatly in place. You can open your Bible to John 20, and I'll just tell you about it. 
It says the burial clothes were laying. If you go into the original language, it literally says they were laying untouched except for the napkin that was covering his head. It was neatly folded at the head. The significance of this, listen what happened. John goes in, Peter and John run to the tomb. The Bible says the one that got to the tomb first went in second. Peter was the one that got there second and went in first. John got there first and went in second. And the Bible says when he saw the linens lying where they were, the linens that covered the body were not moved from their position and he saw the napkin neatly folded in a separate place. Listen what it says. John saw and believed. What was the significance? Jesus told them. He prophesied about the temple being destroyed. Three days I'll raise it up. He told them that this body, I have to die. But I'll be resurrected in newness of life. The untouched linens meant Something supernatural happened. The body disappeared from right where it was. The linens were unmessed. The napkin folded. Now there's lots of theories on this. But the one that continually resonates, and I went and looked at the Jewish sites, and they talk about this also. But there's nobody else that gives any kind of rationale. There is something called the master-servant theory. And what that is is when a servant is taking care of his master, when the master is eating, and, and, uh, and uh, Bruce will talk about this a little bit on Wednesday, when the master is eating, one of the ways that the servant knows that the master is still eating, he just lays his napkin on the table. The way that he knows or excuse me, that he's not finished, he lays the napkin on the table. The way that he knows that he is returning, he folds up the napkin neatly and lays it on the table. That means I'm coming back. The Bible says the napkin was folded neatly at the head of the table. Oh, somebody, you're going to get this. He said... I've finished my work, but I'm coming back. I'm not thinking you're getting this. He said, I finished the work that I had to do, but I'm coming back. He folded it neatly. See, John understood this. That's why the Bible says he saw and believed. The Bible goes on to say, see, everything was done very publicly. The Bible says that the soldiers ran back to tell the Jewish officials what had happened, that a supernatural being had rolled the stone away. And look what it says. They were paid a large sum of money to lie and say the disciples stole the body. Why would this all happen? Why is it not only in God's word, but it's in historical record? Go read. It's called the Antiquities by, by uh, uh, Josephus. And other people that were alive during that time. So the first thing we see is a very public crucifixion, assault, and trial. But also, part two, a very real and very public resurrection. Nothing was done in the shadows. It wasn't done in the middle of the night. And he shows up and said, oh, by the way, guys, I'm back. I'm out of here. See you in a few thousand years. 1 Corinthians 15 See, we're back in that 15th chapter again. The Bible says he was buried and was raised from the dead on the third day. Listen to this. Just as the scriptures said. And it wasn't a private resurrection. The Bible says Peter saw him. Then the 12 saw him. And he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. And when this was written, most of them were still alive at that time. And then he was seen by James and by all of the apostles. And last of all, Paul's writing said, and last of all, as someone born out of a, a, a different time, I also saw him myself. Nothing about the crucifixion was private. Nothing about the resurrection was private. It was all very public. And you can find it in archaeological records today. Not just God's, God's word. 
Are you with me? So what happened? You see, by Jesus making it a public spectacle, what he did is he gave the public the ability to critique the claims for themselves. Acts chapter 1 says, During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and proved in various ways that he was actually alive. Say, Pastor, why is that significant? Well, if you remember, before the resurrection, the disciples were hiding in fear. Look at John chapter 20. The Bible says that, that, that Mary Magdalene went to the disciples and said, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he, what he had said to her. And then on the evening of the first day of the week, this is significant. Why? Because this is another proof of the resurrection. At the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, look at this, with the doors locked because of fear, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So let's go back to the resurrection. Now Jesus is in his glorified body. What does it say about the doors? Well, what about the doors? How did Jesus get in? He just walked right through. He disappeared. Just like we can in our resurrected bodies. Am I making any sense today? The doors were locked because of fear. But something happened. Jesus showed up. You see, when Judas betrayed the Jesus, everybody ran. Even Peter, his most loyal disciple, lost heart. But in just a few short weeks, they went from hiding to standing face to face with the ones that crucified their leader. Think about it. What happened? They were imprisoned. They were threatened. They were forbidden to speak in the name of Jesus. What was their response after the resurrection? Said, we are going to just obey God. You don't want us to? That's when you and God. We're going to obey God rather than man. Acts chapter 5 verse 29. The Bible says because of this they were beaten because they disobeyed. And listen to what the once cowardly apostles said or did. They did not stop preaching and teaching the name of Jesus. What happened, church, that took them from hiding in fear behind locked doors to publicly standing before the odds? You think maybe this resurrection could be real? I left in your notes a statement that I made. True belief is something you're not only willing to live for, but it's something you're willing to die for. You see, history is full of martyrs, countless men and women dying for their beliefs. Yet for that reason, it's not that significant to point out that the disciples were willing to suffer and die for their faith. But listen to me. It is significant in that many will die for what they believe to be true, but few, if any, will die for what they believe to be a lie. Their lives are now on the line for something they believed was true. Why else would they die? They had nothing in it for them. Are you with me today? You see, that psychological fact alone is critical. The disciples did not die for deeply held beliefs about which they could be honestly mistaken. They died for the claim that Jesus Christ had not only died for their sins, but that he had raised bodily, he was resurrected from the dead to show them that he was like no other spiritual leader that had ever lived. Not only was he Lord, Savior, but he was God Almighty come in the flesh. Can somebody say amen? All of this unexpected by them, yet predicted very clearly in God's word. See, the disciples were caught off guard because they got caught up in thinking that Jesus was coming to set up the kingdom of Israel now. 
Their minds were so fixed on the coming of the messianic political kingdom that they could not anticipate the events essential to the salvation of their own soul because of the messianic eternal kingdom. They were caught up in what's in it for me, just like many Christians in today's world. They get so caught up in what's happening here and now that they no longer keep their eyes focused on the then and there. Which the word of God we've talked about the last few weeks about heaven. And how the Bible says if we are raised in Christ, we need to keep our eyes on the things of eternity, not the things of the temporal. I imagine that when Jesus said over and over that it was necessary for him to die and then to be resurrected, that they thought he was talking metaphorically. Jesus spoke in parables, and they missed the obvious until it was over. And as you read the scriptures after the resurrection, after the ascension, Many of us have heard the story and read the story about the road to Emmaus. How the Bible says that Jesus was walking with these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And beginning in Moses, he begins to open the scriptures up. All the prophecies that pointed to himself. How that he was going to be betrayed. How that he was going to be crucified. How he was going to be martyred. And how he was going to raise from the dead. And the Bible says when they sat down to have dinner, he broke bread. And then their eyes was open and they knew it was the Lord. Listen to me, church. There's so many times that we get so caught up in this world that no longer can we see the things of God. All we're doing is we're looking at that next paycheck. We're looking at that next, that, that next situation, that next circumstance, or what we're currently going through, where we've currently been. When God says, you've got to understand, I've been through all of this. There is no temptation that has taken you, but as such as is common to man. He said, I've gone through it all, yet I did it without sin. And because of that, you can come boldly to my throne to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus shared... But they couldn't see, or maybe because it's not what they wanted, they wouldn't see Isaiah's prophecy of the suffering servant or the trilogy of Psalm 22, 23, and 24 that talked about the great shepherd who'd pay the price. Let me begin to wrap this up. Number three, the end, like the very beginning in the resurrection was all about God's love. You see, God does not intend us to live in our current condition for eternity. Many people believe that is one of the reasons that the Lord expelled them from the Garden of Eden so they would not live in their current condition for eternity. Though not easy to understand, God brought salvation of the world through his Son, just the way he planned. Let me take you in the scripture, Isaiah 53. Still, it's what God had in mind all along to crush him. Who? Jesus, with pain. The plan was to give himself as an offering for sin that he'd see life come from it. Life, life, and more life, the message translation says. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. Look at First Peter chapter 1. It says, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. First Corinthians chapter 2. Look at this. No, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world would have ne- did not understand it because if they had, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. But the scripture says, no eye has seen, neither has it entered the heart of a man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. You see, ladies and gentlemen, from Bethlehem to Gethsemane, from Calvary to the tomb, all of this was part of God's plan that the resurrection could come forth and be the simple climax 
to the miraculous life God has promised. Can you say amen this morning? So let me just break it down. He began his public life. His public life. Turning the water into wine. Over the next three years, he walked on water. He healed the sick. He opened blind eyes. He opened deaf ears. He opened mute mouths. He restored crippled limbs. He cast out demons. He stilled a violent storm. He raised the dead. He asked questions that wise men couldn't answer. He taught profound truth with the simplest of comparisons. And he confronted the hypocrites with words that exposed their cover-up. If all this is true, and it is, should we be surprised that his enemies would not have the last word, but Jesus would when he said, it's finished. Come on. He said, it is finished. Come on, give him glory this morning. He said, it is finished. Public crucifixion, public resurrection, The last public thing was blasphemy, that everyone that rejected would have died for. And that is the worship on the Sabbath. Out in the open, everything was done. Everything that was, was overcome. And everything that would be would be so drastically changed that even the day of worship would change. You see, the Sabbath day of rest was the basic tenet of Jewish faith and way of life. Any Jew that did not honor the Sabbath would be guilty of breaking the law of Moses. What happened after the resurrection? immediately the Jewish followers began to worship with the Gentile believers on a new day. On the day which they believed Jesus had risen from the dead, we talked about a little while ago, the first day of the week. What was it? What day was it when he showed up and walked into that locked room? The first day of the week. For a Jew... This reflected massive change of life. A new day, listen, along with Christian baptism. The outward sign of an inward decision. They went into a watery grave to show the world, I've been crucified with Christ. And they were resurrected out of that watery grave into newness of life. They recognized a new day of worship and a new way of dedication through baptism to declare that they believe in Jesus Christ. They said, there's something far more than traditional Judaism. They believe the death and resurrection of Jesus cleared the way for a new relationship with God, one not based on the law, but based on the resurrected Savior. This is what happened to Paul, whose name then was Saul, whose heart was so dramatically changed by the resurrection that he left everything he was part of the religious group that was getting christians killed and he left everyone everything to follow the one who left everything to find him philippians chapter 3 look what it says here i want to know christ and the power of his resurrection He said, I haven't already attained all of this, and I haven't already been made perfect, but he said, this one thing I do, I press on to take hold of that which Jesus took hold of me. He said, I forget what's behind, and I strain towards what is ahead, and I press towards the goal of the prize of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. A very public birth. Bethlehem. The whole world could have attended but only those looking for him did. A very public life. Everyone could have been converted, but those that followed him did. A very public death. Everyone that could have, been con- could have attended, but only those that were brave enough to stand against the odds came to share in the death. A very public resurrection. Which now God says, you and I have to live a very public 
Christian life. Romans chapter 8. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life in these mortal bodies through the spirit that lives in you. All over the world, there are those who have died to their old ways so that Christ could live his life through them. This spiritual power is seen only through those who are willing to die to their life, their old life, and let the rule of Christ reign in their new life. It's apparent only in those who respond to the overwhelming evidence of the resurrection that come to an understanding of the lordship of Christ in their heart. Let me take you back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look what it says. But let me reveal to you wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, when the last trump of God is blown. For when that trumpet sounds... Those who have died will be raised to life forever. And we who are living will be transformed. Listen to this. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. In other words, as Jesus was resurrected, you and I on that day will be resurrected to newness of life. Can you say amen? See, it becomes apparent in each and every person that will come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, turn their life to him, and accept what he died to give, that you and I could come to live. Today is that day. Today is the day called Resurrection Sunday. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.